On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are defecting, or are we, along with Guy Pearce and Damien Lewis in espionage drama A Spy Among Friends on the newly launched ITVX. And, and Guy defects to this very podcast later on to discuss just that. Plus, we're going a little bit country, that's country with an R, uh, with Jessica Chastain and Michael Shannon in George and Tammy on Paramount Plus, and getting down with our inner Gen Zedder in Tell Me Everything, also on ITVX. Plus, it's time for celebration, as the BBC dropped the new series of Strike called Trouble Blood, and not only does that mean we get to hang out with Cormoran and Robin before Christmas, but I called both of them up for a little chat as well. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has now officially put up its Christmas tree, festooned it with baubles, and begun the traditional festive countdown to that most traditional of Christmas traditions, the arrival of Blood Origin, the new Witcher prequel series, which lands on Christmas Day. Uh, Yes, it is Christmas month, people. It is the time of miracles, so be of good cheer, and welcome to our first December pod, my two little Christmas elves, Boyd Hilton and Beth Webb. Hello. Hello. Are you feeling festive? Yeah, open my calendar this morning, and little Risky's got a calendar as well, obviously. So she's had her, she's had her catnip treat. Oh, so, bless! Uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. This is this is Christmas for you. It's like you give your cat drugs every morning. You have a <laughs> you have a narcotic <laughs> advent calendar for your cat. It's like if we had little ones with like crack and MDMA in various little windows, and we just dosed up before we went to work. Well, if I didn't didn't give her just a, just a little bit of catnip, she would be climbing all over this, mucking up the sound levels, making Fair hell enough. for our poor editor. Instead, so, she's just sort of stoned and lying on the sofa. Yeah, she's like under the Christmas tree. The lights are going <laughs> off in her eyes. She's very, um, very dude-esque right now. <laughs> very nice. We should probably not talk about what happened in the office with the advent calendar yesterday. Oh that my was all God. a little bit. I, uh... Do you know what? I don't even know the full story. I just saw you holding up the inside of the advent calendar <laughs> with all the foil torn off. Thought, yeah, that, that looks about right. <laughs> It was a bit feral. I can't. I can't deny it. So, an advent calendar arrived in the postman. It was for Violent Night, the new film Violent Night with David Harbour. I, I was. I was in need of a sugar hit, so I tore the the sort of like cardboard casing off, <laughs> revealing this sort of foil skeleton holding the chocolate little coins, and then oh proceeded God. to to rip that to shreds and eat all of the coins. Like, it was like a, monster. a raccoon going through a bin, like just yeah. like snuffing oh. away through the yeah. rubbish. It was, it was quite upsetting. The worst thing was, it wasn't even December. It was literally the last day of November that I did it. So, yeah. Dreadful. We weren't exactly well, lacking you- for sweet things and, and cakes and chocolate yesterday anyway, as it was. I that mean- is true. There was a lot of stuff in the office, but that did come later. Like, this was when I first got in, it was the only thing in sight. Whereas today, I'm on like, I'm like I'm being hardcore today. So if you, either of you see me even looking at chocolate today, I want you to slap me in the face. Like, oh, well, that's, just like, sounds good. Yeah. slap me in the face. <laughs> and okay. an orderly cue. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Get that Mr. Kipling's bar out your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. Exactly I've got that. a. I've got a from the BBC sent me not just me. They sent various go. people a, a a combined advent calendar and World Cup wall shot, which is a brilliant thing. So okay. it's got all of the World Cup fixtures, which is happening right. now, James. In case you didn't know, and um, <laughs> vaguely, yeah. And an advent calendar with chocolate as well. So it's a brilliant combination of two, because obviously there's never been a World Cup happening around Christmas at this time yeah. of year before. So yeah, it's wonderful. That's that's my advent calendar of choice. I feel like I probably don't need that. No. <laughs> no. But that's good. That is all good. Right. 
We are on a clock today, uh, mm. although it's, which no one will probably notice from the runtime of this episode, since we've got like 15 interviews in here, so probably it's going to be a bumper episode. We're going to try and get the record quite tight, recording as we are remote on Thursday, the 1st of December, at the bright and early time of 8 o'clock in the morning. Woo! So if we're a little bit sleepy, that's either because Beth's been snorting Risky's catnip, although having said that, I was always thought that catnip was like the feline equivalent of Coke rather than like pot. I thought it was more of a stimulant than a sedative. She goes quite, she does go quite loopy. Oh, she's um, on a come down. I get it. <laughs> I get it. So she's had the manic phase and now she's just zonked yeah, and eating crisps. Yeah, she's under a duvet watching Friends. Right, okay. Like, this, this will work for me. I understand, I understand. But other than your cat, what have you been watching this week? Uh, do you know what? I've got one of those annoying answers where I've had to watch a bunch of stuff for work that I can't talk about. But oh, you're the worst. I hate when people I, do that. Oh, yeah, the trailers, etc. That said, I can we talk about this? Because last night, so again, annoying journalist chat, but for Boyd and I, who do watch The White Lotus, we, oh, I yeah. think you were saying as me, Boyd, devoured whatever episodes we could get our little paws on as soon as yeah. available. So we've been sat on five episodes for the best part of a month and finally got episode six through last night. And I was like James with the, the advent calendar. I couldn't get get onto it quick enough i had to i had to stop everything i was doing and sit down and watch it and i think it goes out it'll be out by the time our episode goes out on monday i think yep, yep. so that's all happened i won't go to spoil so much just to say if a lot of stuff happens everything's gonna happen in that final episode everything is all gonna keep yeah. off and i cannot i cannot wait it's gonna be delicious horrible I, i'm gonna be watching from the fingers the whole time but yeah, so I absolutely delve through that. And then I'm just on a Seinfeld run. You know, it's getting oh, getting to that time. Nice. Yeah, I was just like, what's well, something nice and easy I don't really have to think about? Something no stakes. It's obviously Seinfeld, where the stakes are like a, a parking space, you know, bad fruit. Um, yeah, I've just watched the one where Kramer's uh, banned from the fruit, fruit stall. That's about it, really. Some lip reading mishaps. Just, just like, like privileged fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because I watch Seinfeld so often. It's such a part of my um, just life that I don't even <laughs> consider it to be in, in this section. Like I watched, I watched a few episodes last week, end of last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, from the season where they're creating their own sitcom and they're creating the sitcom Jerry, which when, yes. when the whole show becomes incredibly meta. And yeah. um, it's an absolutely brilliant season, mm. my favourite season. And yeah, I watched like three, two or three, maybe even three or four episodes, like Friday, when I got yeah. back from my trip to Gran Canaria. Yeah, this time last week I was in Gran Canaria, by the way. You were? set visit yeah, for horrible. Channel 4's The Curse series season two, and it's going to be hilarious. So yeah, I watched some Seinfeld, definitely. That's, I have that. And, and in fact, my, I li- literally replicating Beth's answer because yes, exactly. I watched The White Lotus episode six last night as well. I went, I got back home quite late. I went to a screening of Tar, the lengthy hey. film starring Kate Blanchett which is at least two and three quarter hours, yeah. and the Q&A with the director. And then I came home and then I watched the White Pat, I instantly watched the White Lotus after that. So I'm quite tired anyway at 8am, oh at 8.10 now. All I'm going to say about that episode six is as well, is without spoiling anything specific, the drug taking 
It's, oh my god! It's phenomenal. <laughs> risky levels of drug taking. Risky, <laughs> risky hasn't seen anything like this. I hope. Um, Scarface levels I of hope. drug taking. <laughs> yeah, going from watching the um, the cocaine bear trailer to that episode yes. of White Lotus yes. was um, yeah, it was an easy bridge. <laughs> exactly, a lot of cocaine themed stuff going on at the moment so yeah and, and and the other thing i have to say the world cup i'm sorry james but i'm not going to bang on about it but just to oh. say but this, if you like if you do like football and you know you can cope with not you're not boycotting qatar for being there was a something involving regime. wales wasn't there there was a game of <laughs> wales game yeah the england won england played really well in the second half any but all i was going to say was this is we've now got two games a day in this phase that we're going through at the moment um, and actually, by the time this podcast goes out, England would have played their next game, which is on Sunday night v Senegal. But we've had this in these last last ten days to two weeks or so, four games a day. It has oh, been God. extraordinary. <laughs> it's been is that normal? That sounds quite a busy no, day. It's completely right. abnormal. It's never happened before because because the World Cup is happening in this weird winter pre Christmas period. They have to kind of shove the games together much more than they used to. So this is unprecedented. We've had four games a day for the last couple of weeks, pretty much. That is now over. There was one point where if football haters, are, over the weekend, there were four games a day still, and the FA Cup started. So ITV was showing, like, oh, World Cup football. This and is in my between it, hell. Some, World, some FA Cup games from here. Just it was, I mean, even, by my, even for me as a football fan, it has become a lot to deal with. But, yeah, just the sheer joy of having... You just don't have to worry about anything. Like you don't have to do anything. You know, work goes out the window. Uh, <laughs> the other things I'm supposed to be watching because yeah, basically you had like eight hours of football every single day. Oh, God, anyway, that is me. now over. It's a mere a mere like four hours of football every day. Boyd, I don't know how to break this to you, but you're in the bad place. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And yet I feel I'm in the very <laughs> and good place. And yet you're perfectly happy. Um, <laughs> very very but happy. Yeah. One thing I would like to talk about, Boyd, is Willow, because one of my oh, yeah. greatest sorrows last week was that. We were not able to review Willow because it was embargoed until the date it yeah. aired, which stopped me doing the Taylor Swift intro that I wanted to do for the review, which uh. is Life Was a Willow and Did It Bend Right to Your Whim, Boyd, which is an excellent Taylor Swift lyric for the song Willow. And I wasn't able to use that, so that was that was so very disappointing. funny to me how you just have Taylor Swift lyrics like, just up your sleeve already. It's so yeah. funny to me. She is the philosopher of our times, I think we can all agree. But, but so I will say, I went to a screening of the first two episodes of Willow, which I think I alluded to. When I say alluded, I think I just said it uh but and i really liked it and i actually think willow which i had no interest in at all is actually really good i think you know the the young millennial cast who are a bit snarky a bit eye-rolly they've got a bit of gen z energy i think they bring a lot of fun to it i think even if you have not watched or could not give two fucks about the film uh from the 80s which i count myself among those people i have seen it i just didn't like it uh, you don't need to know any of that like it's it's really fun it's got it's like a an 80s sort of like fancy but with proper production values and proper effects in fact and it seems incredibly harsh to say this but i'm gonna to have to say it anyway the biggest you know drawback unfortunately i know what you're gonna say i know what you're gonna say willow. don't say it don't say it's it. willow no. it is unfortunately like because like the the young cast are very naturalistic like they're a lot of fun warwick davis unfortunately does let the side down no, don't say that a little oh my bit God. I, I, I can't i, I know it's fine. i know it's harsh he's fine is he, though? Yes. i mean i watched it I've only seen two. 
he's in a different kind of yeah. They're more naturalistic, but he's yeah. Willow. He's a different kind of character. Yeah, yes, in that their performances are believable <laughs> and good, and his is less so. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, it's oh, it's no. he's not. But I think Ellie Bamber is great. Ruby Cruz is so much fun. Her and Aaron Kellyman are really really great together. Tony Revolori from Spider Man is a load of fun as well. But uh, Amar Chadha Patel is my favorite thing in this. He is this kind of like grumpy, funny warrior guy, and he is an absolute delight and i think what makes this work so well is when they're all on screen together because they're just a really fun bunch of characters and they banter off each other really well i will say uh, in warwick davis's defense (laughs) while i don't think he was the mvp of this show there are moments in this where he plays alongside his real life daughter so she plays willow's daughter in the show Mm. and she is his real life daughter in this and that's really really lovely like like they're great together and i really enjoyed the time that they spent on screen that's annabelle davis is his daughter and i think that that's really really sweet so i think he lands that stuff really well but some of the the comedy material like his delivery just the pacing it just doesn't quite work like i say it's based on two episodes there are a lot more there's like what eight in the series or something so maybe you know he comes into his own later on i couldn't say but suffice it to say for those of you willow skeptics out there i think it's worth a, worth a shot. You saw it, boy. Did you see it, boy? Yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah it, it, it. They've turned it into quite cunningly a, a YA. It's a YA fantasy series, isn't yeah. it? So it's completely it's your. It. <laughs> yeah, that's why you love it. Um, but in in those terms, it is a better YA fantasy. The, the dialogue, I think, is really um, like it's re- it's it's really nice, isn't it? The dialogue yeah. is kind and of snappy. frothy and snappy. That's snappy. Yeah, that's a good word. And so it's actually better than than quite a lot of those YA fantasy mm. things that you've championed over the last <laughs> yes. ten years. Yes, <laughs> Because it does look great, and and the dialogue's good, and the characters are interesting. It's got this. It's got an interesting um, romance that's going to burgeon in, in between between the two young women, I think. And so, yeah, I think it's it's all around a good thing. I, I was very surprised. I only I watched the first episode. I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I have to say, and I like Warwick Davis. I won't have a word said against him. I've hosted many a Q and A with him and his delightful family. He is when delightful. He did, when he did Life's Too Short with Ricky Gervais, I ended up doing a lot of things with him, and he is such a good, good guy. And so I think he's he fine. <laughs> I, I have no problem with him as a man. I have met I him a number of times. I think he's great. Yeah. However, I stand by yeah. my critical analysis of his performance. I'm sorry. Um, okay. Fine. Anything else you've watched, boy, do you want to share, apart from football, which we cannot no. talk about again? No, I, okay. I, I could go bang on about the football. I won't. Well, yeah. then, football, Seinfeld, Willow, and what was the other one? I don't know. Oh, and uh, White Lotus, yeah. White Lotus. And White Lotus, yes. Yeah. Okay, fine. Uh, so I want to talk about two other things very, very quickly. One is, I, I, I speaking of YA fantasy, I pressed on a bit with Warrior Nun. I think I bowed to pressure oh. because people who have been harassing me on Twitter say, no, you've got to give it a go, you've got to give it a go. So I watched another two episodes of Warrior Nun. And... I get what they're saying. Like it, like I, I, it, it's definitely drawing me in a little bit more. Like, like there's. I don't think I'm like going to sit down and binge it, but there's a very real chance I will make it to the end of season two. It is still a lot of fun. I think if you get into the right headspace, and I love the fact that you know there's they're out there like there's lots of they're in Italy, they're in Spain, they're all over the place. Like there's lots of it's very international. There's a lot of Euro backpacking going on. There's one they're working in a bar somewhere. Um, mm. Yeah. So so I'm back. I'm back on the Warrior Nun train, which is fun. But that's not actually what I want to talk about this week. What I'm going to talk about this week 
those who listened last week will not be surprised here, is the flat chair. So the flat chair, which oh, yeah. I devoured every episode of. Oh, weekend. you're so funny. <laughs> and I absolutely <laughs> loved, it has to be said. So I watched all of it and I found it an absolute delight. There is, but it's not a massive spoiler to say that obviously this is the show where, where the two flatmates and one has the days and one has the nights and they communicate via passive aggressive post-its. That's the whole thing. So the meet queue is via post-its and they have their flirty banter, which they narrate via post-its. So one of them will wake up and they'll pick up the post-its and read it in the morning. They do, spoiler, actually meet in the end. So that actually does happen at some point. They do finally meet. When they meet, when they kind of get together, uh, it is they they have a kind of meet cute in the bathroom. And I'm not going to say anything about it, but it is a phenomenally acted scene. It is brilliantly put together. Uh, I can't tell you how well constructed it is. And again, I think Jessica Brown Finley has the most spectacular face acting in that scene. And just again, not to get on 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 comic timing, but her comic timing is flawless. Uh, and I really, really liked it. So I will say, it's as I said before, it's not perfect. I, I'm not even sure it's that good, but I absolutely <laughs> loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved it. And I think in these troubled times, watching Jessica Brown Finley and Anthony Welsh, who have this incredible chemistry together, it's a really delightful little story. The, the earnest subplots get slightly more earnest and a little bit more eye-rolly, and the stuff that's cliche gets even more cliche. But none of that matters because they're so brilliant together. So if you want a little slice of cheesy, joyous, you know, <laughs> frosted joy in your life this Christmas, I very much recommend uh, The Flat Chair, which is on Paramount+. Plus. Ah, right. That's what we've been watching. So I think we've got a bunch of interviews today. We should get on with the first one. Now, ITVX crashes onto our broadband this week with a host of new shows. Principal among them, though, is A Spy Among Friends. So this is based on the best-selling non-fiction book by Ben McIntyre. And it stars Guy Pearce and Damien Lewis as two spies dealing with the aftermath of the former's defection to the Soviet Union. Now, Guy stopped by to talk about the show when he was in town quite a few weeks ago, actually, at this point, And a mon woman was here to ask him some questions. We are delighted to be joined on the Pilot TV podcast by the star of A Spy Among Friends, Mr. Guy Pierce. How are you, sir? I'm very good, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. I've seen the first episode of this series and I'm excited to see more. And once I sort of, you know, was watching it and I realized it was based on a true story, I went and did some internet searching to find out more about the guy that you're playing, the guy that Damian Lewis is playing. Did you have that same instinct once you booked this role? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is an incredibly fascinating world. I knew a little bit about it. I knew a little bit about the Cambridge Five and, you know, these English spies who had been double agents and had either defected or had been found out or, or had been caught. But I didn't really know a lot of the details. Obviously, there have been films along the way like Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy that right. sort of venture into this arena. So... You know, and obviously great writers like Ian Fleming um, and et cetera, who had been part of MI6 have, have, have tapped into these stories. It's something that has always been sort of hovering around in the background of my life that I've been, you know, vaguely aware of. But getting to do Ben McIntyre's book, yeah, just, just meant that I, you know, delved into it a little more. And I think the interesting thing about this is that it isn't just about spy world it's about the betrayal of of a friendship mm -hmm. so so that was something interesting to to tap into as well that even though these characters exist in the rather secretive world that they do you know they they have human relationships that that are just as frail and and vulnerable as as the rest of us you know tapping into that was also 
fascinating as well. As you're reading the script, imagining yourself as this character, Kim Philby, what sort of questions are you asking yourself to get to the truth of him? Because just watching that first episode, you know, I, I know a bit of the story in terms of he, he betrayed his friend and they they set it up a little bit, but we, we, we don't know why yet. it's a six episode series, but are you, are you already asking yourself, why would he do this? Like what, what questions are you asking yourself? I think when I'm first reading it, I mean, I, I was asked to come on board by Nick Murphy, the director, who I had worked with before. I'd done A Christmas Carol with him uh, a couple of years um, prior. And so I knew that I would have lots of questions for Nick. But I think when I first read something, I'm trying to imagine how I play a character. I'm trying to imagine whether I can play a character or not. Before I get into the details of why he did what he did, I'm just trying to see myself in that role on the screen, in the scene that is presented in front of me on the page. And, of course, you know, the the first, I suppose, most obvious question that I ask myself and that I then ask Nick is when this character is telling a lie, do we as the audience know he's telling a lie or do we not know he's telling a lie? And obviously, as Nick points out, you know, these guys are very good at lying. And I think as actors, we tend to overplay and overstate the moment of, well, I'm telling a lie now. I'm just letting the audience know that this is a lie. They're the sort of questions I eventually get into with with the director, with Nick. Um, But in the first place, it's just, can I see myself as this how do I picture this guy? Can I see myself as this guy? Can I picture him? That's so fascinating because an actor's job is to be authentic, but Bilby's job is to lie convincingly. So you have to be truthful about concealing the truth as you play this character. How do you well, modulate right. your performance to meet the demands of that? Well, you, I just have to rely on the on the director incredibly because I, it was a question that sort of came up a lot where I would think it... It feels wrong to be too convincing here because he's telling a lie. But, of course, Nick would remind me constantly, but he's very good at lying. It's completely convincing. So, in a way, the job for me was simplified. Whatever it was he was meant to be portraying, I just portray it as an actor would portray it. And our story lets our audience know that what he has just said is a lie. But what I do as, as, as my job, as my task, is to present it as if I'm completely telling the truth. And, of course, that would slightly vary throughout the scenes and it would slightly vary throughout the series and it would slightly vary throughout the episodes depending on, you know, where we were at in the story. And, but it was a question that constantly came up. Damien Lewis is your screen partner for a number of these scenes. He plays the spy friend that your character portrays. Is this something you discuss with him also? What conversations were you guys having about the dynamic between your two characters? It's, it's all we discussed. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely everything. And I think the thing that was interesting about this was that we get to a point where we really believe and we realise as actors that their friendship is genuine, that their friendship is real, that, that everything that connects them is honest and genuine, but this ability to sort of compartmentalise, this ability for Philby to to go, well, I believe this, but you believe that, so I just will conveniently not mention this thing, is separate from 
whether we're friends or not, which therefore creates the best betrayal because as far as Nicholas Elliott is concerned, these guys are completely honest with each other. Um, it's just that Philby has chosen to omit certain aspects of his life. And, you know, it's it's also quite complex because through their sort of life of privilege but also through their class structure and through who they are as men in this era of from this particular society in this part of the world, men don't necessarily express everything to each other. They're English, they're upper class, they're from the, you know, mid-century period. They're not particularly, you know, woke 2022, you know, Gen Z, hard on their sleeve kind of characters. What suits them as far as how they uh, express themselves easily falls into the ability to be able to just keep sort of secrets from each other, but at the same time completely believe that they're the best of friends. In describing your process previously, you said that accents are the first thing that you start with, and you've got a British accent in this. How long did it take you to figure out what Kim Philby sounds like? Well, it's not so much accents that I start with. It's the voice that I start with. And I have to, because, because, and just to clarify your question, and I absolutely respect your question, uh, it, it's the, the tone of my voice. It's the energy behind my voice. It's the, the timbre, the, the, the pitch, the, the pace. All of that stuff to me is a reflection of who a character is. And I feel like I need to find that or a version of that early on in order to then, you know, progress from there. So if, if I can understand a character through the voice, then I'm, it's a good starting place. You know, if a character has a kind of a low, slow, energetic kind of quality that is unwavering, et cetera, then that just, that answers lots of questions for me. Mm. If a character's, a bit anxious and a bit high-pitched and a bit fast and a bit a bit ahead of himself and stumbling over his own words, then that also answers something for me. But I need to sort of find that and get that happening in my body before I can sort of progress. And obviously with these characters being highly educated, you know, Cambridge-educated, typical British upper-class, uh, upper-echelon sort of education system of that era speaking the queen's english you know there's a sort of a there's a sort of a, a sort of an elitist quite sort of um uh, uh, yeah condescending quality about the way they talk and 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 as we know the class structure in the uk has has existed for a long time it in fact is one of the faults i think that philby then exploits that this upper class structure that thinks it's sort of impenetrable and that nobody can reach is actually if you if you take it and manipulate it you can then use it to your advantage and you know work for the other side and no one's going to suspect you because because no one would assume that you could be that audacious whereas Philby was and having done I played um Edward VIII in the king's speech Right. who's also sort of terribly, terribly posh and is much more, is a sort of much more, it's much more specific and much more uh, narrow, I suppose. But it was, it's a good starting place to, to base Philby on. You know, Philby's not a royal, but he's, but he's elitist and he's, he's from that highly educated world. 
So I felt like that was in me somewhere and I was able to sort of tap into that and, you know, <laughs> kind of work on it. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask about Neighbours, which you returned to for the final episodes recently. What was that like? Was it like riding a bike or did it take you a second to, to get back in? <laughs> Let the record reflect that you are holding a Ramsey Street sign right now. That is awesome. <laughs> we all got given these when we finished the show. <laughs> awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, it was beautiful. It was just absolutely wonderful. I mean, it really was a trip down memory lane and and a great experience because I got to work with you know, all those wonderful actors, not all of them, but lots of actors that I'd worked with back in the 80s, Jeff Payne, Paul Keane, Annie Jones, Stephen Dennis, Peter O'Brien and Ian Smith and, and Lucinda Cowden. And and it just brought back great memories. It was, it was also quite strange because I had to try and think about who Mike was now, you know, after 37 years or whatever it was since I'd left the show. And, I, I you know, I'd been asked to go back on the show previously and and had sort of always you know deflected that but deep down had always sort of thought it would be great fun to go back on the show and of course with the show finishing it, it seemed like the perfect excuse to be able to do it and a friend's uh daughter my friend natalie her daughter henrietta graham had just been cast on the show uh, not long prior to the announcement the show was being axed mm. and i'd said to the producers look I'll come back on, but I, I want to work with Henrietta and if I can play her father, then that gives me a legitimate reason to be there. So I wanted to make sure that the storyline had some sense of integrity. Uh, I didn't just want to turn up as a sort of token gesture. And, and of course, they were keen to, 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 to rekindle the, the old love between Mike and Jane, and I was really happy to go along with that. But I really wanted to make that feel legitimate as well, that you know, that I think that people can fall in love with each other and then be separated for whatever reason for years and years and years, but something, that spark never goes away. And, you know, I wanted that to feel genuine as well. So so it was great. They were really keen and happy to work with me on the thoughts that I had. And, and Annie and I are really old friends. You know, Annie Jones and I have known each other obviously since the day. Yeah, everything about it just felt sort of seamless and perfect. You know, it, it was a wonderful experience to, to go back, yeah. And obviously that's where you got your start. Is there any particular lesson that you learned from that experience all those years ago that has served you well in your career? Learn, learn your lines. <laughs> learn your lines. <laughs> because you don't have the time, you don't have the time to, to not know your, your lines, you know. So that, you know, learn your lines and don't bump into the furniture were the two things that I was really taught. <laughs> You know, as, as, as a young actor on that show. And, you know, I, I've always stuck by that because I, I need to know my lines really well in order to then forget about them so that character work can actually come through. If I'm thinking about trying to remember my lines, then I'm then I'm just guy trying to remember my lines. I'm not actually the character. Yeah. So so that that was sort of funny to go back on the show and you know, I didn't have a lot of lines, but it was it was it was a nice little reminder of those. <laughs> sort of early things that I'd sort of learnt that have that I've hung on to through, you know, all of these all of those jobs. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, by the way, behind you, are there, uh, is, is some of that VHS or has you got all in DVD form now? No, they're all just my folders. They're all just the oh, folders okay. from, from jobs, you know. So, so like if I pull out this one with all the stuff that goes with it. Wow. 
That's amazing. So you, you prepare folders like these for every character you play? Yeah, and I mean, some, some things I do a lot more kind of, you know, some things I get a bit carried away with. And, I mean, if we look at the one for this show, which is this one here, um, which I actually pulled apart for somebody before, so I've got to be careful not to let all the pages fall out. <laughs> um, but sometimes I fully decorate. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So almost like a school project where, <laughs> where I, I, I find whatever material I can and sort of stick it all over there. But like the art department have pictures all up on their walls or the costume department. You know, I, I, I sort of use this as, uh, as sort of source material that I'm mm. so I can then, you know, just be quickly reminded of what it is that I'm doing, you know. So, mm. so yeah, so that this one lives, you know, right up there on the end. I'm running mm. out of space. <laughs> I, I need to build another cabinet, you know. To, absolutely, to- absolutely. Yeah. There, there are more roles, more films, more series for you to start in yet. Uh, and I can't wait to watch all of them. Guy Pierce, thank you so much for your time. This has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks, Amon. Okay. Right. That was Guy Pierce. So now I had said to you guys we were going to skip the post bag this week for time because we want to schedule. So what we're going to do is we're not going to 100% skip the post bag, but we're going to have a very condensed post bag. There are a couple of things I do want to cover off because I think they're important. The first of these is from Isaac Moreno or Moreno, could be one or the other. And he wanted to call me out on this egregious quote unquote fact that I announced last week, which was that all Spanish people lisp because a king of Spain once had a lisp. Now, obviously, I think one of you, possibly both of you pointed out, hang on a minute, that sounds a bit like it's just not true. And I was like, no, no, it's definitely true because Helen O'Hara of the Empire Podcast said it to me and Helen is never wrong. Well, listeners, dear listeners, (laughs) turns out Helen is occasionally wrong because it turns out that is an absolute load of bollocks uh, and it is a apparently a quite widely believed fallacy and it's actually down to it's down to regional variations in dialects essentially there's certain parts of spain list certain ones don't and it's not technically a lisp either because they do pronounce s's perfectly but certain combinations of letters i want thing i want to say it's a ce in particular so barcelona so it's like a ce certain so that that is pronounced as a th instead of a s so it's not technically a lisp and it has nothing to do with regal speech patterns so that is absolute bollocks so if you've learned nothing else from this week's podcast it is do not ever listen to me because it turns out i talk absolute nonsense but that was one thing i wanted to mention and the other one is and this was something that has never happened to me before on this podcast but someone slid into my instagram dms this week with a voice note a voice Ooh. note and this comes from and the irony here of how i'm going to about to butcher his name his name is vuta bruga um but is uh he said the following hello there james i was just listening to your review of echo one or two or somewhere around that number on pilot tv podcast <laughs> and i felt an urgent well actually message was in order um, you were talking about a Belgian or Dutch, I don't remember, actor whose name you were, to no fault of your own, totally butchering. And I will now reveal the right pronunciation. It is actually Michiel Huisman. My compliments ah. to uh, Pilot TV co- podcast, and I'm very happy that Beth is back um, <laughs> almost every week now. And uh, also to your contribution on the Empire podcast, of course. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoyed. Are we now, sure that wasn't Chris Hewitt? 
<laughs> it could have been Chris Hewitt. <laughs> now, I, I will obviously let his mockery of my uh, of my vocal patterns go. But uh, there you go. I'm not even going to attempt to repeat the pronunciation of... Please, please repeat it. Yeah. Please what, do that again. What was it? What, was it? Boyd Machiel Boyd, Wasn't it Machiel? Uh, well, I think what we've established is there is no way for us to reasonably pronounce his name properly. So I'm just going to go with Michael Husman because that's about yeah, all I can fucking manage. Uh, however, what, yeah. Vuta, I, I very much appreciate the uh, contribution. Yeah. Thanks, Vuta, because you, I, uh, we've had this before because you do always assume it's just Michael, Mickey, Mickey Husman. But yes, I've been Mickey saying for Mickey years. Husman from the yeah, Bronx. I've been saying for years it's, it's something more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it turns out it and was. It is. In fact, more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Fine. Uh, I have opened this thread of things. So I'm. How 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 are we for time? Oh, okay. We got time for a couple more. Very very quickly. John Silman says, "Good morning. Love the pod. I've got a question for you. Or what movie series would you like to see made into a TV show? I've always thought the Harry Potter films would translate nicely, let you spend more time developing all the brilliant characters, and you don't have to cut as much out. Would also be nice to see them actually learn something and be kids. It's difficult. Like Harry Potter and." particular i don't think that's i don't i just don't think you can do that what do you reckon oh it's only a matter of time before it happens it's gonna happen do you think there's no way but, are you serious yes yeah. i'm serious they're I gonna think not you do take it. one of the world's most valuable ips and, and make a prestige tv series out of it it's only a matter of time I there's no that way is. that's not gonna happen no. you're insane well, if well you're okay bear in mind bear in mind what is the most successful film franchise of all time star wars have they ever remade it no well okay you could argue they have remade it what are you talking about directly not directly <laughs> No, no, but this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. You can spin off the world like they did with with the Crimes of Grindelwald Fantastic Beast series. Like you can exist in that world and do stuff. But can you actually remake the core narrative when those performances and those actors are so oh. indelibly inked in people's memories? I don't know that you can. Wait, wait. What was the qu- the question? Didn't say that, did it? Didn't they said remake. They said literally remake. Like oh. remake the Harry Potter books as a TV okay. series. Oh, I was thinking more using the character as the starting point. I mean, oh, I of course, think- sure, you can absolutely do that. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I didn't realize. I, I still think did- as a. I don't think anything that's sacred anymore so i i think they absolutely will give it another 10 years maybe i reckon they'll, they'll start with it out for a new audience yeah. yeah, it has to be like a, sacred. enough time has to have passed where young people are no longer watching the original exactly. films. Exactly, exactly. I, I just think well, the way it's going. Twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I would say. Yeah, nothing sacred. But to that ends, I just don't know. What are some other films? What is my job? <laughs> yeah. I mean, could they do something with, as she's thinking of the cover of the very magazine I work on, maybe something with Indiana Jones down well, there are. We've with got the young, another young indie thing coming, haven't we? Oh, have we? Well, we um, don't know. Do we know it's young indie? I've, do you know what? I've forgotten what we do or do not know about that series, but uh, there's something All coming. Right. Well, there's a Blade Runner series, isn't there? There's a Blade Runner series. Yeah, coming. Blade yeah. Runner That's series. Like... I feel like there's an alien series. I think the the core sort of core of what they're asking was 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 fair. Is that it does give you room to breathe, doesn't it? It means you don't have to rush stuff. Although Sophie Petzl, bless Sophie Petzl, my favorite tweet of the week was hers, where it was a still from something I don't know what it was, but it was basically what Harry Potter would have looked like if it had been a YA Netflix show, and they're all sort of like really emo kind of like shifty looking edgy teenagers yeah. and I thought that was really funny because that is 100% <laughs> what it would be oh yeah I what think is- you could take it's one of my favourite films but I'm going to say anyway you, you could take the general midnight run kind of um, premise which is like this kind of ultimate buddy mm. 
up between you know between those two characters, the Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin characters. I mean, they are two of the greatest comedy performances of all time. But you could find some brilliant people to do those characters and and do that story, that chase and uh, avoidance of the law and the kind of way they bond, etc. That that comes to mind. If it ever happened, I'd be furious because the original is so <laughs> perfect. But th- that comes to mind, like kind of perfect films that would make for quite a decent. The premise could be spun out quite decently. It kind of there have been quite a few bounty hunter type things which have actually been basically ripped off from Midnight Run. Yeah. So it's almost happened, but not quite as fully as that, as if they took Midnight Run. I mean, there's an alien show as well coming, isn't there? I wonder how is I'm that going to be. for all this stuff. Of all of are. this stuff. But, but then, you know, I have this thing for long form content. Like there's something about, I've said this before, that like, sometimes I feel like, like, and this isn't always the case because like, I'm so looking forward to seeing Avatar The Way of Water. And there are certain things that feel like they can only exist in the cinema because like the amount of money it would take to do that over 10 hours would be prohibitive but i just yeah. think sometimes like it's nice to spend more time in a world like i like the kind of the long sort of stretched out content that you can wallow in in tv but i know what you mean but i i, I do see I, regularly now i go to film screenings and i think oh this should just be a, a mini series a limited series yeah. oh yeah right. and a lot yeah. of things really should be yeah 100 yeah. like can you imagine like you look at michael clayton which is a phenomenal film but that feels like that would be an incredible hbo series doesn't it <laughs> yes mm-hmm. yes 100 um, yeah especially if a couple of other quick ones yeah yep. yes indeed he did indeed a couple of other quick ones critter lover 33 this is for you beth uh she says let beth know that we americans call the icky feeling in her case when she sees teeth brushing on the screen the heebie-jeebies or the willies there wow. you go those are wow. the medical terms are they fantastic? those are the medical be, terms for I'll your go. thing you have the heebie-jeebies and or the willies so okay there you um, go. i'll i'll take that to the to my to my doctors there to the gps <laughs> Okay, so okay we're going to do two more. Yeah. Two more. This is from, from Charlie Mulcahy, and they say, Hi, James. I'm a long-time listener from Melbourne, Australia, and look forward to the podcast every week. Thank you very much. I've just finished 1889, and I think it's a bonkers but thrilling show and a worthy follow-up to the showrunner's previous creation, Dark, one of my favourites of all time. Have any of you continued or planning to continue watching this following your review a couple of of weeks ago. Now, when see, wasn't it 1899? Yes, yes. Because it's 1889, the Yellowstone spin-off. Because <laughs> yeah, I was like, when did you say that? Is that I was thinking, oh, actually, yes, I'm really watching that. Oh, no, you mean the other yeah. one? Because yeah. this is not... This and 1923 is, is coming soon, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. the dates thing has to stop. It hasn't, yeah. hasn't Taylor Sheridan also announced there's a 1960s yeah. Yellowstone spin-off coming as well. Oh, yeah. Does, yeah. He, like, does like, he sleep? Oh, does he, I don't does he know. sleep at night? I don't know. How is he doing all this? Yeah, he writes every fucking episode of... Um, oh, my God. The, what's it called? The main show. Yes, Yellowstone, yes. Yellowstone, that's it, yeah. <laughs> what was the 1899? Oh, yeah, I did watch more episodes of 1899 is the answer to the question, and it's really, really good. And I'm actually waiting to the weekend. This weekend, I shall finish it because um, I really want to know. It's absolutely gripping. It's mad. The The madness of all the different weird elements of not, not making any sense yet is still delighting me, and it's brilliantly made. Uh, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to finishing it. I've got like two more episodes to go. I have not continued watching it, unfortunately, because I was watching it the flasher. Volume. When you found out, it uses the volume. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You, I'm out. You're boycotting it. Yeah, that's it. I'm yeah. finished. You balanced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, funny, funny shot. The flat share was entirely shot on the LED volume. It's, uh, it's a little known fact. It is Are you joking? Is that joking? Of course I'm joking. There is none of that was shot on the volume. It was shot in a fucking bed set in South London. What are you talking about? I'd love it if it was true. That's very deadpan for you. Thank you. Thank you. I try. Uh, Right. That is 
unfortunately all we've got time for this week because as i said we are on a clock for this particular episode if you would like your question comment thought musing read out on the podcast then do head over to us and dm them to us at pilot tv pod or apparently send us a voice note on instagram that's new and we'll see what we can do with that but let us move on now to a section that we laughably call the news section and boydy some some festive scheduling has been announced hasn't yes it? yes the big channels have announced their big highlight for Christmas, um, I keep saying big. Don't know why. Uh, you, various BBC, as ever, BBC devotes a lot more um, time, money, and attention to scheduling new stuff at Christmas because it's not really that worth ITV doing it. So ITV's main drama, drama off thing, you'll be thrilled to know, is a new feature length episode of Doc Martin on Christmas Day. I think it's going to be yep. on Christmas Day. <laughs> Roll out the flags. Whereas BBC <laughs> has a whole, it uh, does have a really exciting, I think, lineup of good, like His Star Materials is back, the third and final season. Yes. There was a new yes. trailer as well. New trailer that arrives on, I think, on the day of the World Cup final, which I think is the 18th, Sunday the 18th. But the it's a weird before. one. It starts in the US a couple of weeks before, but the US yeah. and HBO are doing two episodes a week, whereas when it lands on the BBC, the entire lot of all eight episodes drops yeah. on the day. On iPlayer, on the exactly. 18th. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There are festive specials of the great Motherland. Uh, we all love Motherland. We do um, love Motherland. Inside number nine has its second ever festive special. The other, the previous festive special was spectacularly brilliant. So I'm looking forward to this. There is, remember, Detectorists? People love Detectorists. Yes. Detectorists is one of those shows that a lot of people think is one of the best, most underrated TV comedies recently. And that's back for feature length special with Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones um, as ever. Oh, um, Happy Valley is going that third and final season of Happy Valley, which we've been waiting about fucking 10 years for. Oh my God. Yeah, it's actually going to arrive, I think. In between Christmas and New Year, as my guess. So I don't know, like um, between around the thirtieth, towards right just before um, New Year's Day, I think hasn't been confirmed yet. But it's going to be the week after Christmas, definitely. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of brilliant, exciting things. I think that's made me, uh, let me think. There's a new drama. There's a two part drama which I'm really looking forward to. Mayflies is a drama with Martin Compston, and it's about kind of like a, a small Scottish town in the 80s, and it's about people who form a band, and it looks really, really good. And it's from the Andrew O'Hagan novel at the same time, of the same name, which is an absolutely brilliant novel. Um, so that is very much, and that is going to be between Christmas and New Year as well, I think. So yeah, BBC putting all the stops out. Call, my, call the midwife Christmas special as well, uh, etc. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay, that's going to be a fun Christmas. And of course, The Witcher Blood Origin, which lands on Christmas oh, yeah. Day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's almost as if the news cycle listens to this podcast because uh, I just pulled up, uh, I pulled up the interweb, as it is known. And the first story that came up was Warner Brothers executive gives update on Harry Potter TV series. Oh, wow. <laughs> so God. turns out things happen very, very quickly, you ask, and then you receive. To be fair, there are no specifics here. Uh, but this executive said there's a tremendous amount of ambition for that. And we're engaged in a number of different conversations. So I think they're probably like uh, spitballing what things that will or will not work. Personally, I'm going for an origin story for blast-ended scroots. We'll see if they can come up with that. That's something I would obviously like to see. But uh, yes, we'll find out. Presumably that's all going to come to HBO Max at some point in the future. Did you guys see the Last of Us character posters? Which dropped yes, yesterday. I did. Yes. Lovely, grizzly Mary Bartlett. Looking yes. lovely, grizzly. Yes. Disbanding my theory that he was one of the creepy mushroom-head people. Oh no, he's very much not. 
He, I, oh. I, I, not that I would know that. Of course, I wouldn't know because, of course, I haven't oh, seen it. That would be ridiculous. Oh, but no, I, yes, I just, I just, yeah, he's not. He's not at all. No, he's not. Well, also, the character poster shows him as a as a human man, which is yes. where you are getting that information from. Yes, because he was on a poster as a James. human man. Yes, but we know who he's playing. We know who he's playing. So he's 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 playing a character who we do not see alive in the game, uh, but we may or may not see alive in the show. But that's very exciting. But yeah, it was very, very cool. I was, I was, I was very psyched about. It. So we saw Riley for the first time, which was, which was very nice. Yeah, it, it, they were great. They were great posters. I loved them. That's basically all I have to say. Wonderful. Moving on, we've got a um, trailer for a show I knew absolutely nothing about. Coming to Apple TV Plus, another fucking one word s titled another show. S, another on s show. <laughs> Shrinking. Shrinking got a trailer yesterday, it which is. comes from Ted Lasso creators Brett Goldstein and the one that's not Brett Goldstein. Bill Lawrence. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, Harrison Ford is in it. Yeah. Which is kind of great. Jason Siegel of the All I can think of is him in the Muppets movie. So All I can go. think of whenever anyone mentions Jason Siegel is is his frankly swinging bellend because Jason Siegel seems to have oh, yeah. a a clause in his contract which requires full frontal nudity in every film he's in I've never understood it but this appears to be the case go I back and watch he... his catalogue and that's not yeah, euphemism and you will see this lot, to be yeah, true I don't yeah, think yeah. it's a bellend in the Muppets movie to be honest but, well, funny um... enough if you look at the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray <laughs> you will notice just behind Uncle Deadly <laughs> Oh my god! Well, anyway, because it is Gonzo. Anyway, let's move on. Anyway, uh, but that is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, that Harrison Ford is in that show. Yeah. Yes, yes. It looks very ta- Ted Lasso esque. Very feel good, sort of dark humor, but with with a with a heart of gold. That's right. Um, Much like yeah. myself. It's suddenly Harrison Ford time on TV because he's doing he's the the, the spin off of Thingies arriving as well. Yes, yeah. right. Nineteen twenty. Is it twenty three? Nineteen twenty three. Nineteen twenty three. Yeah. Mm. So it's suddenly Harrison Ford on on prime on big TV in a big way. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Wednesday, which I feel like I probably should go back and watch now because it's been massive. Is it the dance meme that got you, Beth? Do you know what though? I have been following General Taker on Twitter, and if you're not, I suggest you do because Uh. the um, behind the scenes footage and photos and things she's sharing are incredibly incredibly funny she's she's got like a real like an actual weirdness to her which makes her all the more compelling i think but yeah it's tying with um stranger things season four the most watched thing on netflix kind of ever and i think it largely does come down to her like I yeah, mean, she's, she's just incredibly likable and cool and do you know what i might go back to it you know might give another swing but yeah she's great love it thrilled to see her doing doing so well Props to um, whoever cut the dance sequence to the club banger from Andor. I very much enjoyed uh, that. <laughs> yeah, that was very good. Worlds colliding. Dune, the sisterhood, has lost one of its showrunners. Uh, Diane Adima John has left the show, leaving Alison Shapka as the sole showrunner for the time being. So that's the one about the Bene Gesserit sisterhood, which is uh, exciting. I just, I just don't like that title. It's like Dune, like girl boss. Like they need, they need to give it a different name. It's yeah, just they should have too- called it Spice Girls. Obviously, Dune Spice. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I, I got there in the end. Very good. Very good. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a good cast, though, isn't it? Is it Emily Mortimer's in it? 
She's great. Uh, who is it? Indira Varma is in it. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. yeah. Lots of bit. Travis Fimmel's in it as well, actually. Uh, but yes, I'm brilliant. Shirley Henderson, uh, Emily Watson. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's going to be brilliant regardless because, you know, Emily sandworms, Watson, but still. Yeah. Exciting. Anything else we would like to mention? Boyd, Stephen Knight has announced uh, that Michelle Dockery is going to be in his new show. Have you seen this one? Yeah, he's very prolific as well of all of a sudden, isn't he? I mean, yeah. honestly, he really is. BBC drama called This Town, uh, which is currently filming in Birmingham. It's good that he's, sticky. he's, he's, you know, he's like a one-man Midlands Birmingham TV <laughs> he is. industry. He's, he's flying the flag for Brown. He really is, yeah. Uh, in fact, he specifically said, it's about an era I lived through and know well. It involves characters who I feel I grew up with. It's a love letter to Birmingham and Coventry, but I hope people from all over the world will relate to it. I mean, in many ways, Peaky Blinders was a bit of a love letter to Birmingham yeah. as well. So, uh, you know, fair play to him. As you say, he is flying the Midlands flag and flying it well. Right. Any other news? Or no. are we going to crack on? Crack on. Right, crack on it is. Right, before we get on to reviews, it is time for our second guests this week, and they are the one and only Tom Burke and Holiday Granger, the stars of BBC Strike, which arrives with its fifth series this week. This was a late announcement from the Beeps. I was so, so excited was I when I heard that, that I immediately dropped them a line and jumped on a Zoom call just the other day with both Tom and Holiday to wax lyrical about the show. Of course, as I say this, I've not actually done the interview. I'm doing the interview tomorrow. Tomorrow, but as you listen to this, I would have done it two days ago. So assuming, assuming the interview actually happened, which it hasn't at this point, I'm sure it went brilliantly. And this is it. So welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. And I have to start with possibly some unexpected news. You may know this, but so our office is in Houston. I was walking up from, from Charing Cross and I walked down Denmark Street yesterday. And it appears someone has demolished your office. So I'm <gasps> sorry to have to report this information. <laughs> But the office, because in the book it's on the other as side. As in Strike's office on Denmark Street is currently behind boarding and a construction site. That where we the, the bit that we film is yeah. Because yes, yeah, the beginning of Denmark Street. Because is it six or four? It's I know where it is. It's like with the the guitar shop over the guitar shop where Strike's yeah. office is. They are turning it into something. I don't know what it is, but you uh, may be in a WeWork for season six. So just you know, just maybe <laughs> throw that in mind. Yeah, that'll just be a bit like dialogue. <laughs> Yeah, move to upgrading things clearly is the thing so clearly a problem for next series though so we won't worry too much about that but um, uh, I will say it is a massive delight to have Strike back on our screens it has been a couple of years since the last one so I guess what I wanted to ask was how does the schedule work for this because like is it sometimes waiting for books to be written is it partly sort of syncing up schedules do you just go about making whatever it is you're making and then Tom Edge will like send up the bat signal when the next one's ready to go like how does it how does it all fit together it's like those it's like those friends where you talk about going for coffee and then and it, you know, it's like, oh, no, actually, I can't do next. Well, what about week up? Yeah, no, no. Well, what about, yeah. It's a bit like that. No, it's not. Uh, it's 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 very much priority. But 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 there is, it is mobile. And it, it, they, they do sort of check in with both of us. We both have the same agent. So that helps. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of is like that, Tom. It's just that we all do actually want to go for the coffee. So we kind of usually go, yeah, that works. And then, yeah, you know, yeah. do it. Exactly. <laughs> You're both at a point now where, I mean, you don't need to have a regular sort of like TV show gig to fall back on. So it must be a labour of love that kind of keeps you coming back for this. Definitely. I mean, I, I it's still one of the jobs that I just ceaselessly enjoy doing and, and would be happy doing for a great while longer. <laughs> I think Holly feels the same. Yeah, me too. I really enjoy it. I'm really looking forward to to the next one this month and it hasn't been out yet oh yes the ink black heart mm. have you have you read the next one yet do you, do you read them in advance do you wait for the screenplays how does that work 
I'm, I read them as soon as I get them. <laughs> I mean, as soon as I, as soon as I see it's out, I get it. Um, I got really into the Ink Black Heart. I think it might be my favourite. Oh, the new one? Yeah, yeah, Ink Black Heart. I think it might be my favourite. I actually think it might be my favourite of her books. <laughs> really? That's a um, yeah, big statement. Yeah, I got really into it. It is a big statement. Um, and maybe I have to reread Harry Potter and I'll probably um, disagree with myself. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I got, I got really into it. See, I get in a situation where, so I have the books here. They're on my bookshelf, just that shot here. But I have the books, but I don't like to read them until after I've seen the show because I came to the show before I came to the books. So now oh. I feel a little bit like, you know, it's like, oh, well, how do I actually want to first experience it? I maybe now prefer to be led by the show because that was my way in. But I'm wondering actually now, when Joe writes these books, how much you guys feed back into what she's writing do you know what i mean like did you i mean have you spoken to her about this does she like have you in mind your sort of faces your managers in mind when she writes these characters now do you think it's not directly to do with that but i did notice the bit of the book i just read had a reference to exactly where the the, the toilet is on their landing <laughs> and it's in a definitely in a different place to how we have it in the show and i sort of thought oh i don't think she's ever established it before but that's clearly in her head where she's had it since the beginning so Sort of good on Joe for going, no, nope, that's where the bathroom is. I'm sorry. You know, so I think she kind of runs, I think she has kind of two parallel tracks yeah. in her head, and sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. I think George R. R. Martin tried to do that with Game of Thrones as well. It's like there's only so much you can do in your head when you have your own little playground. And then when you see it realized, the two worlds collide a little bit, I think, unless you really try and keep them apart. Yeah. Uh, which must be quite a difficult thing to do. Going back to this, I mean, like they're great books. They are fantastic, and obviously they were very popular before you did the series. But, but, like, what is it about this show in particular that you think makes it as special as it is? I think I was going to say strike. So, <laughs> um, I, I think we all love the character strike, but also the sort of will they won't they between Robin and Strike, mm. um, and that. Uh, I mean, it's always that kind of the plot that you get into but it's the the backdrop of their characters and you really invest in both of them you know I think you really care about them and their relationship yeah so I think there's sort of a mix of that kind of that solid familiarity of the two of them with uh, um, I mean some of the, the storylines are pretty dark yeah you know it's kind of I think that that uh, you know that yeah that kind of the, the tenderness between kind of leads you through that darkness. <laughs> well, I should just say I think Robin is an equally popular character. <laughs> Definitely, I think that it is their relationship, and I think that um, people talk a lot about Holly and I's sort of performances in that regard in terms of chemistry. Would both be keen to point out that I think we've always taken all our cues on, on the development of, of, of that relationship from the books, because it is written in such a beautiful way in the books. So exactly. And even when we have to kind of tweak it just to do with whatever's been tweaked in the episodes to make them fit into four or whatever the reason, it's always that that we're going back to. And it's always that that we, and I think, you know, it's so vividly described in the books. It's just, it's an easy thing to carry around in one's, in one's being when one is, filming all manner of scenes whether you're on your own or with the other person 
I mean, that must actually help a lot, I guess, because you don't just have a screenplay to go off. You actually have this whole rich tapestry from the books that you can kind of draw upon because you're absolutely yes. right. Like it, like the, the the plots from these are kind of the, the central mystery, if you will. Uh, and they're kind of labyrinthine, they're intricate. And I have yet to, in on my own, unravel one before the finale. One day this may happen, but it has not yet. But that's not weirdly why you come to this show. It feels like exactly as you say, it is these two characters who are so vividly drawn and so compelling and the relationship between them. And I think that's that what works so well for this. And I think what's interesting as well is when we come into this, so the first episode, even if it's the first book, we know nothing about these two characters. Like You're not given an awful lot at the beginning. We very gradually get to know them as the series plays out and then the second series plays out. And it's almost drip feeding information about their past and their relationship. And I kind of, I wonder whether from your point of view, that's similar when you're playing them, that each season you're sort of learning a little bit more about them, which will then in turn influence how you're playing them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like I think we were kind of quite lucky when we first started filming, there was already three books out. Yeah. So there was quite a sort of a um a chunk of their of their psychology that we already knew. But you know, even in this series that's about to air, we learn so much about strikes history, sort of the side of it that we haven't really seen before. You know, we've learned a lot, quite a bit about his you know, Rockstar Dad and his groupie mum and and the sort of darker, difficult side of his childhood. And and then now we're learning kind of the um the wholesome Cornish side. And I think that, you know, um says a lot about him and we understand a lot about him through that. I think there was an interesting thing that happened with the last one we did because and there was an article in the Radio Times, which I only happened to read, I think, because it was the same. I wouldn't normally read an article about it necessarily, but it was the same week that we'd done an interview. And there was a, a sort of a bit of uproar from, from, I think, the editor about the fact that we were swearing in the show. <laughs> it annoyed me initially because I thought, well, I think that's, in a weird way, that's a way of censoring, not necessarily censoring what even what's happening on telly, but sort of writing in that way about people and about a story like this. I mean, I think my defense of swearing has always been that there aren't necessarily other words to replace the expression of those feelings. And both of these characters incredibly rooted in trauma. I mean, that's, yeah, that seems true of most characters in most shows these days, but I, I was sort of sympathetic to, to, her having that feeling because I think in that particular one we hadn't managed to fit in. In fact, we'd shot quite a lot of flashbacky stuff to do with that, but but it hadn't made the show. And I think people forget, and we've never really seen much of the the Charlotte Strike story, and and certainly their relationship is sort of a, a kind of trauma bonding thing. So I think there is, you know, we're very aware of of of, of the kind of backlog of stuff that's happened to them all and i think you usually if particularly if they're viewing them in order so yeah. with the audience but i think sometimes either people forget or they're watching something in isolation it's funny you mentioned charlotte actually because obviously that came to a head very much last season and then it feels like is a thread that obviously doesn't get picked up this series was this just literally a scheduling thing rather than a kind of a, a we've got to trim down 940 pages no because in the book she's kind of there but not there in that she's in right. rehab getting messages from her on various phones 
And so it, I think there was a draft where it was definitely in and it, and it did tie into a lot of the kind of grief around what was happening in the family in a really nice way. But ultimately it just, it didn't feel like quite enough of a strand to follow through on in a way that's fine. But yeah, I don't, I think it's definitely coming back. Uh, okay, good. I'm, I'm very pleased because I mentioned where I am in Ink Black Heart, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, sure. Okay, okay. But I see what you're saying. Like text messages, not the most, not not, not I would say a medium that works brilliantly in the show. No, and there's a lot of it. There's a lot of information happening on the phone anyway to begin with. So yeah. Well, I, I will say one thing that I was very, very gratified to see in this season was the return of Venetia Hall or Venetia the Tory intern, as she was known at last season. Uh, it was a particular <laughs> highlight of uh, of Letha White. What, like, was it fun to bust her out again? because that's uh, that's a lot of fun on screen. It really is. I love it when Robin gets into character of various kind and, you know, tries out different accents and it's always quite... Um, I, I love how many sort of embodiments Venetia Hall gets. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and, yeah, I, I mean, I really enjoy playing those scenes. I've got a confession to make. What's the name of the character? I don't even know if she has a name. The one you go when, when you're visiting the care home, the old people's home. Um, that's Vanessa. Is that what I'm not done? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm at risk of overshare. Weird crush with that. <laughs> Don't even understand it myself. <laughs> I thought she sort of seemed a bit like a kind of. Um, oh yeah, anyway, I'm not going to say no. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nearly didn't say. Okay, good to know. Something for everyone to look out for then. Vanessa, who turns yeah. up in I think episode two. Yeah. Vanessa with her glasses and baseball cap. <laughs> it's a good look. It is a good look. Like I said, like we, the thing that, that stands out for me, I think, in a number of ways with this thing, and it actually was with, there was a scene in this where where I would say Robin headbutts someone while making a cup of tea. Now, obviously, that's a very British thing generally, but it kind of it, it really hit home for me the fact that this is not a show that leans on action beats for its excitement. Like you're you're less likely to chase you know a suspect across a rooftop as you are to kind of like confront them with a preponderance of ele- of sort of evidence and then sort of judgmentally glare at them, which I love. And I wonder, you know, is, do you think that's part of this show's appeal and part of its very British nature? Because I can't help imagining if this was an American show, the network would have uh, feedback in that area. I suppose the, uh, the sort of consequence of uh, American stuff a lot is they, they want 20, 20 episodes of, of they scene, do. yeah, or, or, or at least 10. So things get stretched out and then maybe you kind of need those beats more. I do think it's a British thing. I mean, I remember feeling that about well, I did the hour series two with, mm. with the same producer. And I remember thinking, I cannot, cannot imagine this show being made in America. It just seems so, even just the rhythm of how people would come into a room felt different. You know, even the fact that you saw people coming into a room felt, felt like a different thing in the pacing. And uh, I think you get the sense of their sort of daily routine in a, in a, in a really atmospheric way. I and mean, I think just to sort of, those shots where you just see them both arriving on Denmark Street at the yeah. same time. Those little things seem to all be an important element in that. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that is quite British. When it kind of first started, I think Ben Richards was saying that he thought it was a very old-fashioned series, like it had an old-fashioned sensibility. He meant that in a good way. You know, like he really loved that about it. Like, is that how you kind of see it? Do you think in he meant in that term so that it's very much, it's not about sort of like, you know, Sherlockian feats of deductive superpowers. It's about graft and evidence and kind of street-level work. And just, it feels like an old-fashioned detective show. Yeah, definitely. And I also think in terms of the show, it that we occasionally sort of, 
so just in the way it's shot or in, even in the way it's blocked sometimes, um, it just sort of self-consciously leans a little more into, into that genre and into some of those tropes. And I think, you know, I think there's enough idiosyncrasy going on elsewhere for that to all hold together in a way that still feels fresh. Yeah, I think I think exactly you're right. It, do, it does have lots of idiosyncrasies to it, which I really love. Like it has a distinct sort of like, identity to it uh, mm. and and it you know you don't need huge action set pieces and i mean you're directed by it's uh it's sue tully isn't it who's directing again yes. this uh uh this series and obviously she's done fantastic work on line of duty and i think she did lethal white as well am i right in saying yes so uh obviously it's nice to have her back although it did kind of blow my mind that she was in fact suzanne ross on grange hill which was a proper like what yeah. moment for me but uh <laughs> yeah she's and she's a really she's also just a really lovely person to have on set she's it just again contributes to the overall atmosphere which i think we've always just wanted to keep as fun as it was at the beginning she's just so sensitive and mm. um and human <laughs> so she really kind of feels the characters and i think that's um that's been such a joy to work with for the last mm. couple of series but she's got a great understanding of exactly how much to to place the kind of emotional stuff and the kind of romantic stuff without it getting overraked. So it's just, you know, it is hitting those beats, but not in a way that, you know, feels cheesy. Or- well, you mentioned the romantic stuff there. Like how much of that is is baked into the script? How much of it is via direction? Because at this stage, certainly in this season, the will they, won't they stuff is very, very subtle. It's kind of a look here, a touch there, like a little bickering conversation there it's not overt and i wonder like how much of that is prescribed or how much of it is kind of almost like your organic understanding of these characters it's never written in that way that it sometimes is written where it's like a, a dark look of something <laughs> crosses their eyes or you know it, it, it but it is written in occasionally but then it's also nice because it feels like Every time we do a scene, we sort of go, is there a moment in here? And sometimes it's no. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's yes. And if it's yes, it's like, how do we do it differently? What, what is it? Is it, you know, is it come out of uh, of an antagonistic thing or does it come out of, a, of, of, a, of something shared? So it's a kind of combination of the two, really. And sometimes mm-hmm. there's a particular beat in the book that hasn't made it into the thing. You go, you know, sort of in the middle of the scene, you go, oh, maybe we can kind of get that in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think so many, most of those beats that are in the script or in the show are in the book somewhere. Mm. So there's, and so much of the book is from Strike or Robin's perspective. So you kind of really, really get a, a much kind of broader grounding in those than you kind of, than you might just from the script. Yeah. Well, before I know, I've kept you for quite a while. Before I let you go, I do want to say one thing, and that's uh, and I was saying this to to Tom just before we started. Like between the two of you, you're responsible for three of the shows I've most enjoyed this year. Of course, being Strike, uh, the Lazarus Project, and the Capture. Uh, and I wondered, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of great TV on at the moment. Never, there's never been as much as there is now. Like, do you guys get time to watch a lot of these great shows that are on? And if so, which ones have you know stood out for you this year? I've been in Australia, so I haven't seen a lot of British telly. So I married a first. Australia, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yes, my own first title trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to watch the Lazarus Project. <laughs> and I'm going to watch series two because I was a great fan of series one. And of course, Papa is in series two. He is, yes. Yeah. And very good as well. Yeah. Brilliant so show. Too. Also terrifying. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I really like Wednesday, by the way. I've started watching Wednesday. I yes. love it. Yeah, everyone's watching Wednesday. Really okay. fun. Maybe, maybe I'll watch that one nice and sad, Tom. Sorry. <laughs>
<laughs> you haven't seen Adam's Family until you've seen Tim Burton's do Adam's Family. I think that's fair to say. But yes, fantastic. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Right. I guess it is time now for reviews. And first up, we have A Spy Among Friends, which you've already heard about from Guy Pierce himself. The question is, was it any good? Boyd, is this Spy Among Friends here yeah. on this podcast? Wow. Um, this is uh, part, this is, I would say, the flagship um drama for the launch of itvx the free new streaming service which replaces uh, the the much not loved the much not loved the unloved in fact itv hub which is the equivalent of the bbc iplayer um, which people have been complaining about since it arrived i don't know like a decade ago or whatever <laughs> and they've combined that cut cut that with um basically the, it's the itv's new kind of premier streaming service and i th- i am i as was rumored previously although we might have deleted that but i am actually a kind of an official spokesperson for itvx so i should make that quite clear for a start but it doesn't mean i have to i have to like Chill. everything they do <laughs> no, but i am but I, I completely am across, shall we say, everything that ITVX is doing. And I went to this big, they had a big lavish launch in London on the South Bank, etc. And they're pretty much going to have like at least one or two new shows every single week, which is quite extraordinary when you think about it, as well as having still having drama on ITV. And all these shows will eventually land on ITV at some point, but some of them not for a while. So this is, um, as, is big, as has been established, adapted by Ben McIntyre, who of course wrote the SAS Rogue Heroes book as well. He is very much a hot property right now when it comes to non-fiction stories and the amazing thing about this is that it hasn't been top dramatized before because it is very much like a real life tinker taylor soldier spy john le carre style story in fact i actually think the style and the pace and the look and the and, and just the general kind of atmosphere of this is very for me john le carre and there can be no higher compliment because i think john le carre Stuff Tinker's Head Soldier Spy, as I said in my interview with Gary Oldman the other week in Saskia Reeves, is one of my favorite films. That film, the original TV series, is a masterpiece as well. So, this for me has that kind of like brownie, kind of a lot of brown, gray kind of uh visuals as a lot of powerful men, powerful posh men do, do have fun with each other and have big, serious conversations about spying and communism and etc in in kind of smoky dusty rooms and it's fascinating and it's really all about the extent to which guy pierce's kim philby why did he you know was was he such a kind of double crossing bastard basically and he basically completely betrayed his best friend nick elliott played by damien lewis and it's kind of trying to work out across six episodes i think what the hell was kim philby thinking and i think i know the answer to that which is which is basically that he really, really believed in the cause of communism, of Russian communism, particularly extraordinarily, as it, as it is to see a, a proper kind of, you know, old school Marxist who became, who decided that was his thing, that was his political belief. And he was going to follow that no matter how many people it harmed. Um, you know, there are estimates that his spying, his, his betrayal, his double crossing of the British intelligence led to a lot of people dying, you know, and a lot of terrible things happened. And particularly the focus on this extraordinary friendship and his betrayal of of, of Nick Elliott. So this is all catnip for me because I I do love an espionage story. The fact that this is true and has meticulously been researched by um, the writers and by in Ben McIntyre's original book means it's endlessly fascinating. The one fictional character they've brought in to kind of help tell the story is played by is a kind of British espionage 
espionage operative played by the great Anna Maxwell Martin. And she yes. is absolutely brilliant, of course. And that I think this is – you could criticise a lot of true stories by creating fictional characters – but I think this is totally valid and it really works because she's essentially interrogating Damien Lewis's character. Um, and that's kind of like the narrative structure of it. Like she is getting him to tell the story of his friendship with the spike in Philby. And um, she's brilliant and she's not taking any shit from him or anyone else, in <laughs> fact. You get nice glimpses into her home life as well, which I think are really do. It just, the main thing that I think this show does so well is it feels so authentic. And it feels so real, and yet it's telling a kind of extraordinary story in its own stylish, interesting way. Directed by Nick Murphy, um, who's done, who did, who's, who's did Save Me, among others, is a brilliant director. Mm. I just think this is like a prest. It's got prestige oozing from it in every way. It's very high quality. The acting is brilliant. I think Guy Pearce is particularly astonishing because he just completely forget that he's Guy Pearce. You know, he just is this kind of posh communist British double agent spy guy. Um, Damien Lewis is very good as well. But but the, the star is Anna Maxwell Martin, funny enough, amongst these two heavyweight uh, actors playing these two fascinating roles. I, I, I was fascinated by the whole thing, I have to say. It's very Boyd. It's, it's it the most mean. Boyd show. Yeah. Um, it's quite labyrinthine. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very intricately yes. woven. It has an unconventional storytelling structure. There are frame narratives within framed narratives because you've actually got these two characters. You've got Damien Lewis and you've got uh, Guy Pierce, both of them being debriefed by separate intelligence services and both of them giving different accounts of the same events. So you're piecing together the narrative from fragments that you're kind of drip fed throughout the series so it's one of these things where if you were considering being on twitter while watching it i would counsel very strongly against that or yeah. you will not know what's happening because it's it's sometimes it's hard to you're like okay so because the whole thing's period sets so you're like is this uh is this part of the, the 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 further back narrative like where is this where does this fall into this what's the sequence of events like working out the timeline i think takes a lot of concentration and it's not it's not the paciest either like it's quite quite deliberate it's quite sort of slow in its unraveling but i think yeah you're right the character moments anna waxwell martin in particular with a very strong durham accent as we come to mm. understand it's brilliant and there's a passive aggressive deployment of a tray of tea and garibaldi biscuits who <laughs> was one of the most british things i've ever seen but yeah it's 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 a very it feels like a premium show like it feels like a prestige yeah. show like you know i and I and I rightly take shit from you over this. I can sometimes be a little bit snooty about, shall we say, some of ITV's fare. Not yes. all of it, because some of the stuff is brilliant. But some of their fare, I'm a bit like, this is so broad, it borders on, you know, trash. But, like, this is as far from that as you can get. Like, this this yeah. feels like, if this was on HBO, you wouldn't bat an eyelid yeah. at all. This is uncompromisingly, you're right, about the storytelling is a good point. It's uncompromisingly about lots of people talking in rooms, in quite yes. small, yes, musty, dusty, grey, brown rooms. <laughs> yes. And I like the absolute, and it's not, and in fact, at the launch, the head of ITV basically, he said, absolutely, he did actually clearly say that there's a lot of stuff they're commissioning for ITVX, ITVX that will never be commissioned by ITV in a million years. Yeah. So to yeah. your point, he actually kind of backed up some of your snobbery because <laughs> he's like, yeah. I mean, in a way, but he did say that. Yeah, it's very interesting that. But this is definitely one of those shows. You, 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 I mean, it is going to be on ITV eventually, I think. But it absolutely feels like a streaming service, uncompromising, very smart, very intelligent. You know, show. 
Yes. Yes, it's very, very good indeed. Very, very worth watching. You know, not high octane, as you say, lots of sort of... No. This, I mean, it has, I think we call a muted autumnal palette. There's an awful lot of beige and grey and yeah. brown in this. <laughs> I don't believe there's a single primary colour visible at any You're, point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but nevertheless, nevertheless, it is very good. Uh, Aspire Among Friends then, which lands on the newly launched ITVX. And we have to do the little X with our hands every time we say that. We don't. I wouldn't advise it. Uh, but this lands on the 8th of December. And we should just say you you very I mean the the, episode, the first episode is called Boom Uyatatata and you um, you <laughs> thought you you messaged us all going what the, I did. like you didn't understand yes. it but that there's famously a song that Morecambe and Wise did and there is a brilliant bit and it towards the end of the first yes, episode there yes, is so, oh, that makes because I thought someone on the ITV press yeah. site had had some had like a breakdown or something because it just said <laughs> Aspire my friend just said title Boom Uyatatata and I was like what's going on yeah it's a famous <laughs> pop culture reference that James did get funnily enough yeah f- f- funnily enough uh right okay that's a spy among friends we move on now to george and tammy which sees michael shannon and jessica chastain as a pair of real life country music singers specifically george jones and tammy Wynette, who i have to say i have never heard of which comes <laughs> no surprise to anyone as i'm hardly the most country man alive the question is were either of you two so was this a bluegrass hit or is there no country for old beth <laughs> wow. Oh my god. That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, round applause. Yeah. James I mean... is so he's so happy with that. He's literally grinning from ear to ear. But fair enough, it's a triumph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the title of my biopic. Yeah. Um, no West Country for. <laughs> um, uh, I I hate to say this, but I'm in the same campus, James, and that I didn't know who Tammy and George were. So basically, I'm I'm always interested. I, I obviously love Nashville. Yeah, I only watched it for the first time last year and became really like engrossed in that industry and that kind of style of music and the, the it, it requires a certain type of performance as well isn't there because there is such a such a kind of emotional register that you have to have when you're performing those kind of songs so and and then also be able to deliver those notes and then there's all the kind of religious undertones to it and it, it, I, I just love the storytelling through those songs so I was I was kind of intrigued by this anyway I'll watch anything with Michael Shannon in it it's really interesting to see him going against the kind of you know the kind of creepy archetype that he's usually cast as here so he's George Jones again I don't I don't really know who he is I know he's a big deal he's a big deal with a drinking problem and was a bit of a bit of a one. And then uh, Tammy Wynette, she's this this kind of star on the rise, bit of a husband, also a bit of a one, probably a worse one, I would say, on the one Raging scale. Raging Bellend. Raging Bellend. Raging Bellend, as it becomes clear with time. She's a mum. She um, has got good, strong Christian values, but um, also can cut hair very well. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing this, but wonderful chemistry between Jessica Chastain and Michael Shannon here as they begin to kind of fall in love and her career starts to take off with a little boost from him as well and she starts to kind of learn her worth yeah I've I've only watched the first episode so far but I've really enjoyed this it's quite pared down it's obviously a period show but it 
lends to the performances more than anything. So it comes down to these two. Michael Shannon is incredibly charming in this, even though, again, a bit of a one. I'm sure it's not going to end well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's great. Jessica Chastain is having having a great time with this as well. I, I've really got on with this. I love, like I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm very intrigued by this industry. Anyway, the performances are, are great. Their chemistry is absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah, getting getting on with it so far. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, because I, I am, I am a country music fan and uh, <laughs> unashamed. Tam, I mean, George Jones is a legend, absolute legend. This, these are as is Tammy Wynette. I mean, Tammy Wynette's most famous song, "Stand by Your Man," is you know is one of the greatest country songs. I've heard of that. I should yeah. know this. <laughs> yeah. Despite that, you know, it, it, and, and of course it's bit, the subject matter, despite that subject matter, so we say. Um, D-I-V-O-R-C-E, which arrives, which is in episode one, is also is, is probably like, a, is also an absolute legendary song. But what, what I thought was really good about the show was they do, the music is absolutely, unashamedly front and centre. I mean, the opening scene mm. is a full performance of a full yeah. song by George Jones. And they don't cut that. I mean, they, there's stuff happening to, to whilst he's performing. But they give you the full song, and that happens two or three times. Yeah, you know where they play James's face. I say not <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, <laughs> but they take the decision to give you full-on performances of the classic songs, which I really enjoy because I think they're brilliant. Um, as you say, at, this feels like it was invented for. I mean, it may well have been Jessica Chastain and Michael Shannon because they are so perfectly cast. I mean, yeah. it's, they're yeah. like both born to play these roles. It, the interesting thing about Michael Shannon, I've realised recently. Do you realise he he is unbelievably prolific now? He he does like a lot of terrible films. He's in a lot of terrible films. I don't yeah. know whether it's like tax reasons or whatever. But Michael <laughs> Shannon, Michael, he's done. I counted. He's done fifteen films. Fifteen in the last five years. That's three a year, and it's extraordinary. Some of them absolutely terrible, kind of straight-to-video style bullshit films. So it's good to see him in this being brilliant, absolutely brilliant, <laughs> personifying this legendary figure, this very flawed um, character, by the way. But what makes this whole theme? Because we've, you know, we've, every other week there's another true story turned into a drama, and the accusations of exploitative, you know, exploitation, etc. But this is based on the book by their daughter, Georgette Jones, the brilliantly named Georgette Jones, um, <laughs> who wrote a book called The Three of Us, Growing Up with Tammy and George, and she is on board as an exec producer of the show as well. So she's literally was there while Gosh, yeah. the things were happening in this family. And yeah. while, you know, the two of them, by that point, obviously, by the time she was old enough to realise that her parents were legends, were both living legends in this world. So it's, I think it adds a whole extra layer of um, legitimacy for the whole, all the storytelling to me, because she's literally telling them, yes, this is this did or didn't happen. So um, that helps the whole thing. John Hillcoat directed it, I think, really well, yeah. like, kind of unflashy, but but in yet cinematic at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I can't get enough of it. It's very much again. I mean, I have a lot of obsessions, but weirdly, country music is one of them. And I didn't know that about you. Already. Yeah, this is, a, this yeah. is a revelation I mean, to me. Oh, well, all new, I was in that whole new country, Nancy Griffith, Lyle Lovett. I mean, Elvis Costello got me into it because he did the whole country album back in the 80s called Almost Blue. So it's all down to Elvis Costello, really. But yeah, he and George Jones songs are on that album. Um, anyone wants to listen to Elvis Costello sing some George Jones songs. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is very up my street and it's and it's really well done. 
I feel like they made a very, very pointed choice with this show, which was they have doubled down on the country to in a way that I've not seen before. So something like Nashville, I kind of feel like Nashville, you can like country music or you can not like country music, but there's enough human drama that you don't need to love country music to like the show. This feels like if you don't like country music, you're just fucked. Because <laughs> as you said, they start this with an entire performance of a frankly interminable country song. And by the end of it, I was like, Jesus Christ, is the show going to start is there more to, is this a lot is this just a gig is that what this is and then you go to the recording session and it's like oh you're going to see the recording a bit no no we're just going to see a record the entire song from beginning to end and as you say this happens three or four times i don't like country music so i'm just sitting there thinking oh my god like this is just fingers on a blackboard to me i'm just it's it's just murder it's absolute murder to me so i found this a little bit excruciating because i couldn't really get on with the music it's like watching an abba biopic and having their best of tracks just labeled in there for me that would be torture. Um, uh. I just, yeah. So, and so, while the human drama in it, and there's a dinner to, dinner scene which I enjoyed enormously. It was very tense, but I, I thought that was some great acting there. Michael Shannon, of course, who I first saw in Groundhog Day, talking about WrestleMania, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, so I, I enjoyed it when when there was quote unquote drama in it. I was there when there was quote unquote singing in it. I was not. <laughs> So yeah, there you go. Fair enough. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought would happen. But Beth, yes. being more open-minded, <laughs> Beth, being a more open-minded person, didn't mind, accepted the country music. Boy, boy, boy! <laughs> I can never be accused of being open-minded. No, Don't you be ridiculous. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> George, tell me then uh, the extended country music concert, which lands on Paramount Plus when Boydie. Uh, the 5th, Monday, today, the 5th. Today, Monday, Monday. Get your country on tonight. And as I said in the introduction, that's country with an R. Right, next we have Strike. Strike is back. This is very, very exciting. This should need a little introduction, uh, being as it is the excellent PI drama from the pen of Robert Galbraith, a.k.a. J.K. Rowling, which adapts this, this time the fifth novel in the series, Troubled Blood, uh, after we've had, uh, oh, God, what is it like? It's Cuckoo's Calling, then... Uh, 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 the Silkworm. Silkworm, yeah, then Career of Evil, then Lethal White, then Troubled very Blood, good. and then the new one, which I've not read, uh, so I can't tell you anything about that one. But anyway, 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 Troubled Blood, boy, and I'm very excited to be able to do this. Like Taylor Swift, did you know this was troubled blood when you walked in? <laughs> wow. You're on fire. Absolutely. You on know fire, Taylor, Taylor Swift I know she started off as a country group. singer. We just let's not even talk about yeah, that. Of course. <laughs> of course she did. Interestingly about we are James and I are uh, um, uh, fans of this um this franchise. Franchise oh God, yeah. series. James is obsessed. Let's let's face it. <laughs> Uh, and and this whole the reason this whole series is a bit special is because of that chemistry, as you alluded to, between Tom Burke and Holiday Granger. And it's kind of um, and the, the, these books, the the um, Robert Galbraith, J.K. Rowling books, what they do quite the best thing about them, in a way, I think, is that they tell a very gripping, complicated, complex mystery at the centre of them. Sometimes more than one. There's other. There's often other side cases that, that the two of them are investigating as private detectives. And at the same time, there's this slow burn of a relationship between the two of them that is like she's in this. She's getting divorced from her absolute bell end of her husband. Oh, thank God. The worst. Yeah, that absolute twat is. Um, you know, is almost out of the picture, which means that she's free to do whatever she wants in theory with um with him, but with Cormoran. But it's like, will they, will they, won't they? It's essentially what it is, but that's played out so steadily 
and quite slowly, but I think as it would be in real life, it feels really authentic, that whole, that kind of dance that they're playing with each other. Meanwhile, everyone's telling him he should just basically get it on with her as well. Everyone's going, oh, come on, it's if you, you know, we'll make a dream couple. So that's a big strand of the whole story. At the same time, there's the whole mystery, which in this case is there is a cold case of the disappearance of a woman in the mid-70s. And at the same time as she disappeared, there has a serial killer who was killing people near where she disappeared and who is currently languishing in jail and obviously won't um, cooperate yet um, with any investigation. But So it's, is the is it the obvious answer? Is Was she basically killed by this serial killer or are there lots of other complicating factors? And there are lots of complicating factors. This book, by the way, this is what J.K. Rowling did this with, with the Harry Potter books. They got longer and longer and longer as time went on. <laughs> and as clearly she just would not let an editor have any say in what she's yeah. doing. This book is 945 pages long. It is. I have it on my shelf oh, here. Oh, <laughs> my fucking God. And so poor, I mean, the, 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 the screenwriter, Tom, Edge, who's been working on these shows, I think, since like the second series, has adapted this into this four hours. Four hours from 945 pages. That is a feat and an achievement. And so far, I've watched the first two. He's doing a really, really good job of focusing on the main case at hand. I think there are I think there are clunky moments. I've all, I, I think in general that Strike is better at the relationship side of things, kind of, than it is in the mystery who done it side of things there's kind of it's quite creaky and kind of some of the machinations like the fact that there's this serial killer that happens to have been operating is quite a kind of you know tired trope to use that word that i hate using that we've seen so many times before and i think jk rowling writing as robert galbraith isn't above you just doing something that is happens a lot in this kind of show or in this kind of story and so i'm not saying it's the greatest of crime dramas from that point of view but it's all about that in that relationship, these two brilliant actors who are really good together. So, yeah, I do like it mostly from that point of view. And shout out to Sue Tully, who directed the whole thing. She is really good. She's directed Line of Duty. She, of course, was in Grange Hill. She is doing brilliantly um, as, a, as a really good director at the moment. This this was this was my treat. Like this is this was like to have all four episodes of this given to me. To, I was just like this because this so we get so we get two episodes this Sunday and then two episodes the next Sunday. Right? That's that's how this is dropping. Uh, it's actually Sunday and Monday. Oh, so, so Sunday, Monday, and then the next Sunday, yeah, Monday. Right, yeah. Okay, fine, 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 fine. So, so you get it in quite a sort of like condensed package, which I think is the best way to watch this. I watched them pretty much back to back and and just had a delightful time. Like I've never, ever been able to unravel one of these strike mysteries on my own. Like, I can never work out where it's going because they are quite intricate and they're slightly oblique. And the storytelling, you know, it's it's quite cryptic. Uh, strike is always 10 steps ahead of you and he has that maddening way that P.I.s do because if I'm right, it's because like, he solved it in his head and he's just not sharing it with us. But it's really, really, really good and it takes you to some pretty dark places like the silkworms like this as well the second series it was pretty bleak where it went to and this one as well like it takes you and career of evil actually was quite dark as well uh, in fact the whole show it's not quite luther dark but this one in particular there's a very particular plot strand which is a little disturbing uh and quite nasty but it's it's a really really good show and as you say the the, the heart of the show the beating heart of it is this relationship between strike and robin which is so believable because they have this electric chemistry you know on a level with anthony welsh and jessica brown findlay in the flat share uh and, you know and you just buy into it and you it's just a delight to spend time with them. My only concern, and I, I use concern gently, is that 
you know, it's the the will they won't they ness of it. The will you know you can only keep that going so far. Like you like there is a point where you lose people if you don't resolve a will they won't they thing. And I'm obviously not going to give away quite what happens in this one or whether or not it does or doesn't get resolved. But I do think it's one of these things where you you know this classic X Files thing. Like it gets to the point where you, people are just going to start punching things if you don't resolve it because it's so frustrating. But I think they do a really really good job of walking the line for this. It's set largely in the West Country, this particular one, because uh, this is where Strike is from. And yeah, I I, I thought it was it was magnificent. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. So Strike then, the first two episodes of which, which appears on Sunday, and I cannot recommend enough. Go and watch all of the strikes. Finally, this week, we have Tell Me Everything, a team drama about, well, teenagers, uh, <laughs> which I haven't seen, uh, but I am reliably assured that Beth has. So Beth... Tell me everything. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah, this is uh, what I'm to assume is it's a new platform. ITBX's first stab at a YA show. Um, stab, stab being the word here, I think. It's to do with a 16-year-old boy called Johnny. He's got undiagnosed depression. Something quite tragic and earth-shattering happens in the first episode and he goes on a bit of spiral he lives in the pub he's got two best friends and it's sort of about him coming back after a summer away where he's not being completely honest about where he's been and then this this horrible thing happens sort of shortly after he comes back and that's basically it for the first episode this is co-written by Marcus Sullivan and Yemi Oyafuria <sighs> It's, you know how I feel. You know how I feel about shows that sort of, they're in the right ballpark for, for young people, but sometimes it feels like they're written about them and not for them or with them. So there's there's, there's moments where you do feel that authenticity and there's moments where you don't. I think some of it, I feel, it's obviously a, a new actor. Eden H. Davis is the guy who plays Johnny, sort of the, the lead guy. It just... It feels like it's taken a swing at Skins, which was a show that happened about 20 years ago now, unless I'm wrong. I feel like it aired about 20 years ago, which is showing my age as well. And it it just doesn't feel very modern, which is strange given it's a show about teenagers. It feels like it's sort of trying to be a little bit shocking. It's trying to be quite edgy but doesn't quite hit the mark for me. There's a, a scene, but a lot of it sort of pivots around a sequence in a in a fairground where they take some pills or some sort of miscellaneous substance, risky or no, um, on the way to the fairground. Um, and that just feels a little bit out of touch. There's a sort of meet-cute over dead dads, which is a bit weird. There's a manic pixie dream girl, which even to say those words out loud feels like I'm stuck in 2005. <laughs> um, there's a very strange warped experience around a funeral. And then it's just, so, so I'm, I'm all for shows that um, explore new ways of showing mental health issues on screen it's something that is incredibly important there's a phenomenal film that came out this year called after snow which deals with that in a very yep. subtle it's magnificent um, 
It is, James. It is. I'm thrilled we agree on that. <laughs> um, but anything that, that kind of explores it in a way that is new and meaningful and thought-provoking, I think, is always great. Another great example is is one of our shows of the year, Big Boys, which which came out earlier this year and, and deals with loss, grief, and unspoken mental health issues, especially like men, incredibly well. And I think, if anything, those have set the bar now where to have – this kind of beer swilling, out of control, sort of pill chugging lad, not talking about his feelings and sort of a whirlwind of chaos with some patchy dialogue at times. It just feels a little bit off off the mark for me. I'm glad these shows are getting made more, don't get me wrong. And if it opens up a dialogue for people who perhaps need that, then fantastic. But for me, it just felt at times a little bit out of touch. Yeah, I, 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 as an old middle-aged man, um, you're I, perfectly placed. I, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> I very much enjoyed it. Interestingly, Spike Fern, who plays Louis, who is the main character's best friend, is in After Sun. Um, I don't know if you noticed. Yes, is he? Yes, he's one of the boys who befriends the little uh, girl, and they play a... pool with her at the hotel yes. in After Sun. Um, as an after a deep cut. It is, <laughs> absolutely. It is. And he is, I think he's brilliant in this as the best friend who's trying to mm. cope with. He doesn't drink or take drugs. It's very interesting. He's a really interesting character. Um, and yeah, Eden H. Davis is also, who's the main character, Johnny, suffering from the depression, does definitely drink and take drugs. I think the cast is fantastic. All generally newcomers, um, apart from Spike being in After Sun, in the brilliant After Sun. I think Marco Sullivan, who's most famous for the quite for the comedy Lee and Dean, the Channel 4 comedy Lee and Dean, has done a pretty... I mean, it's autobiographical. He does say that. It's based on a lot of stuff that happened to him where he grew up. And I think it does feel a little bit timeless, I would say, in a way, oddly. Yeah. And even though it does, of course, acknowledge social media and all of that, as it has to. But the concerns, I think the main, the focus on mental health, I think, is, is really good and is done really well. Very well performed and written. And I, I actually think there's a reference in the dialogue to Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I seem to remember at some point. Oh, is um, I know we're running out of time. We've got about one and a half minutes. James is getting very, uh, in, very stressed <laughs> out. Um, but, yeah. So all I would say is I, 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 I loved Skins, and I think this is, and it's a bit of an obvious thing to say that this is a natural successor. But I think it's got a lot of that essential, the stuff that made Skins really, really good at its best. So I rather enjoyed t- Tell Me Everything. But sorry, James, you've only got like a minute to go. That's you okay. Have to that's okay. Well, we have quite a few other things to cover, don't we? But before we do that, we should probably say, uh, so when does this air? So this is ITVX, Tell Me Everything on ITVX. All, all, the, when? All, the IT, all, the, all the ITV, all the four ITVX shows start on the 8th of December is when it launches. Well, that things nice and easy. Yeah, The Confessions of Franny Langton, which we didn't have time to review, which looks really good from what I've seen. That's a, it deals with slavery and as a period drama uh, slash romance. There's a plebs uh, feature finale, which is I've seen and is fantastic. If you like plebs, it's very funny. Best amazing, shocked and amazed. Um, yeah, they're all on the, arriving on the eighth on ITVX. Those things. Yes, indeed. And what else? Uh, there's more. There's more, isn't there, Boydie? There are more things we haven't covered. It was a busy. It was a busy week. I am Ruth. I am Ruth. I am is Ruth. A, it, it's a two-hour special of the I Am in the I Am franchise. Dominic Savage's excellent Excellent series. franchise. It's a lot. I, a trick, I think trigger warnings. I'm, trigger warnings will be announced on Channel 4, I'm sure, before this goes out on Thursday at 9 o'clock. It's Kate Winslet with her actual real daughter, um, Mia Thripleton, and she is incredible, her daughter Mia Thripleton, in this. It's a really quite distressing, I have to say, look at I've, I've watched it at 
the issues affecting a young teenage girl and how and the lack of communication problems between the mother who can't understand why the desperation of her daughter is brilliantly acted and and it is amazing it just is a lot to deal with but and i'm going to say this not a spoiler there is hope in the end i think it's really important to say that because you might halfway through this thing you might think oh my god this is so bleak i can't bear it it's oh, so wow. raw and powerful, but there is hope in the end. I don't think that's really important. So I, I am yeah, saying you, that. If people you did me put me off this it, by saying it's I'm the not. most upsetting thing you've ever seen. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, I did say that. But it's worth seeing it. But as all of the I am's, it's worth seeing because it it's so, yeah, it is brilliantly, brilliantly done. And it's a really important subject. Really, really important subject. Te- what teenage girls particularly have to often have to go through sometimes. Yes. So Channel 4 Thursday thematically related dragon age absolution drops on netflix which is uh, <laughs> oh of course God. the adaptation of the video game and it's an animated show as well also um, uh, apple's little america anthology series returns for its second series on the 9th too uh is that broadly speaking it no, Roy- rosie malloy gives up everything is a oh, sky yes. comedy now a uh, comedy with um written by susan nixon star- it's a sheridan smith vehicle basically um about her dealing with lots of addiction issues there's a lot of addiction stuff going on at the moment on tv and rosie yeah. Yeah. doesn't begin and end with risky about it exactly <laughs> definitely not doesn't begin and end with risky oh my god i think that might be it but i've probably missed something yeah, slow horses do. did you cover that oh we, oh, we covered that last week yeah in full oh, last yeah. week oh, yeah. so we're all good oh yeah god i'm losing it it's all right. It's early in the morning. Right, that's it. We're out. Another podcast racked up and another opportunity for you to shower us with five-star ratings and to follow us on whichever social media networks, I don't know, remain at this point, at James C. Dyer, at Beth K. Webb, and at Boyd Hilton. Or take a leaf out of the Flat Shares book and just leave us passive-aggressive post-its to read when we wake up. Uh, on next week's show, we'll be watching the third and final season of His Dark Materials, which feels like it's been off our screens long enough for Daphne Keane to be about 38 by now, uh, plus Litvinenko on ITVX, The Recruit on Netflix, Netflix and the new National Treasure show on Disney Plus, some combination of which we will almost certainly watch. In the meantime, I'll have to do a few lines of catnip with Risky. See you next time. Pilot out.